God, we thank you for this place. I thank you for this church. I thank you for my spirit. I thank you, God, that you've created us where we can give and receive truth from you. We thank you, God, that you can speak to us not through our physical ears, but through our spiritual ears. That you can give us vision, God, whenever we're... <laughs> Others don't see, God. Sometimes people don't see what you're doing. And I thank you for spiritual vision. I thank you, God, that sometimes we hear your voice and other people don't hear anything, God. I thank you that you've created us in such a unique way where we're each individually wired, God, to connect with you in whatever way you choose to connect with us. And so, Lord, today as we are in this place where we're about to go into your word and read your word and, and study it, God, we know that it's absolutely impossible to discern spiritual things without spiritual enlightenment. Join me, if you would, in this next part of this prayer. God, I give you permission to speak to my heart today. Do what you think is best, and I will receive it with joy. Amen. Amen. Sometimes it's just that simple. Um, you know, we're agents of free will. That's the way God made us. And we can shut this thing down in a heartbeat. All you've got to do is just put up a roadblock and God will never push past it. Um, and so I just want you to know that it's up to you. What you get from church is totally up to you. And uh, when you come in with a reception, with the, your receptors open and with a trusting heart, you're going to get a lot. Because God has a lot for you. There's never an off day with God. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't have bad days, you know? And so sometimes the preacher may not have the best day, but I guarantee you that the Lord will speak if you're listening. So I'm just giving you an encouragement today. So Trey, put up that graphic, when God made you. And I want you to say this to somebody next to you. It says, when God made you, he was definitely having a great day. I want you to say that to somebody next to you. When God made you, and if nobody's by you, John, I see you way over there. When God made you, he was, have, he was having a great day. He made a great thing when he made you. Amen. So we've been talking about this question, do we know why God made us? <laughs> Do you know why God made you? Do you know your potential in God, in yourself, in the world, anywhere? Do you know where most potential is found? Two places. Thank you, Dee, Dee for, for listening. Most potential, in my opinion, is found in the graveyard. That's sad, but true, I think. Most people die with most of their potential left, un left untapped. Because the, the, there's such a pressure in the world to conform, you know, to fit in, to look like everyone else, sound like everyone else, minister like everyone else, sing like everyone else. There's so much um, expectation to conform to mediocrity. And it's in the church more than it's anywhere because we define discipleship as duplicity. If you look like me, act like me, sound like me, then I feel like I've discipled you. 
that your potential is uniquely your own. The second place that most potential is found, in my opinion, is in the past. Man, I would have, could have, should have. I was praying through this this morning and something came to my mind. Let's watch a little one minute video that makes it crystal clear. Here it is. Uncle Rico, my favorite guy. So sad, really, but, you know, oh, Uncle Rico there, he, he's stuck in 1982. All his potential's in the past, you know. He lives all his days in the future now. He was about to ask Kip about time travel and go back and relive that moment in 1982 when he was in this football game, and he thought he was the answer, that he would have been different. His potential was just there, and the coach wouldn't put him in. So many people live their life, and especially their Christian life, you know, if the preacher just would have noticed me, if they just would have put me in my place, if they just would have given me this, you know, there's all this potential that's in your past and you let it stay there because you have all these excuses to never move forward with the Lord. And I'll just say this, the reason you were created by God wasn't to go back in time travel and relive 1982. Your life is, a, is, a, is, is the summary of everything you've been through and your greatest potentials in front of you because your, your life experiences have helped to make you what you are today. I read a word this week and I can't remember the quote. I don't remember the guy, but it was just, it stuck with me. He said, my greatest accomplish, accomplishments were after I turned 65. And I thought, you know, that is, that is amazing. And I believe that it's true. I don't think that, you know, it, the whole world belongs to the younger generation. I think our potential is inside of each one of us regardless of our age. And it's a cop-out to say, oh, well, my days are gone by and I'll leave that to the younger folks. You know, that's a cop-out. And it's a cop-out to always be pushing off your potential to the future. And it's a cop-out to always be looking back in the past. You live today in your potential today. Let me ask you a question. If all limitations were removed from your life, what could you do? Now let me ask it another way. If all limitations were removed from your life, what would you do? That's a better question. I think it's easy to live in, I could, and like Uncle Rico, I would have. 
you know. But the deal is, would you if today, if all limitations were off? You know what limitations are. Lack of education, lack of opportunity, you know, lack of good looks, not being the right color, not being from the right side of the tracks, all your scars from your past. If all those limitations, all that, you know, I grew up in a crummy home. I never got the, the, the uh, advantages that ever, other people got. Man, if I'd have just got the advantages that kid got, I would have been this, that, and another. If all those limitations are, lim are, are off of you, what could you do? What would you do? We've been looking at the story of Esther. You know, I want to just ask these questions. Did, uh, did Esther have any limitations? Well, yeah, she didn't have an education. She grew up probably in a rural community. She was probably just a farm girl. She didn't have the, I'll just say this. She probably couldn't read and write. She probably couldn't, um, uh, she didn't know anything about etiquette. She didn't know how to sit around the table with dignitaries and act like a queen. She didn't know how to do a whole lot of things. She had a lot of things against her, yet her potential came forth. Her created, uh, her created person that God created her to be came forth. And, and, I, and I coined a new phrase for her. Esther is the pinnacle of purpose. Anytime you see someone that God looks down and says, you were created for such a time as this, and that person says, yes, Lord, I was, and I will step into the fullness of what you've created me to be, they've reached the pinnacle of their purpose. We all have grown up in this generation, and you look at the news, you look at the things, and it makes you kind of down. Sometimes you think, wow, the whole world's spinning out of control. How, you know, it seems like the church is becoming less influential. The church, the world's becoming less Christian. It's even difficult to talk about Jesus because it's got such a bad connotation. You know, we, we look at all these limitations that we're living in in the world today, but God is saying, I've created you uniquely for such a time as this. And our job is to just really look up and say, God, yes, I accept that responsibility and I accept that opportunity. And the limitations don't matter. Did Esther know who God created her to be? No, she didn't. Did she know her potential? No, she didn't. So how in the world did she reach the pinnacle of purpose? And that's what we're talking about. If you're not familiar with the story, here was Esther. She was a, a, a young lady, and I'm just going to tell the part of the story that's relevant to today's deal. But here was a young lady that, that was living with her parents, or not her parents, with her cousin, actually, because her parents had been killed. And she, and she was living with her cousin, and, and uh, she was obviously a beautiful woman. In fact, Jew, the, the Jewish history books say that she was one of the, most, the four most, one of the four most beautiful women that ever walked the face of the earth. But she didn't, you know, she didn't have what it took to be queen. She was just a beautiful girl. And I'm sure that her nails were all torn up and I'm sure her skin was calloused and I'm sure she didn't know anything about being a queen. All she was was just who she was and in the situation she was. And the king found himself without a queen. And so it went out, he sent out a decree to all the empire, which was huge. And he gathered in all these young women. And it was like American Idol or something. He gathered them all in. And then through a process of elimination, they honed it down to where there were a few women that came into the king. And Esther won his heart. And I can tell you that the excitement that was in Esther's heart was explosive. It was an opportunity of a lifetime. 
But was she ready to be queen? You know, he, he, she goes into the king that night and she, he says, you're it. You're the one. I'm not going to look any further. You're the queen and I'm going to put the crown on your head. And she was like, oh, this is amazing. But when she left that bedroom that night, was she prepared to be queen? No. <laughs> she, she was cleaned up. They had fixed the outside of her. They'd been through a year of beauty treatments. They'd done her nails and they'd gotten her skin and all her calluses were off and her skin was perfect. Her hair was perfect. It had grown out. They'd had her on a great diet. They had this woman looking her optimum when she went into the king. But the outside is not what prepares you to be queen. The outside beauty just gets you in the door. What prepared her to be queen, what prepared her to reach her pinnacle of purpose was the fact that she was willing to have her mind renewed. She went through education. She, read, she, she learned to read, and she learned to write, and she learned how to act at the table with dignitaries, and she learned what to say and what not to say. You know, I, 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 was, I was praying about this, and I was saying, well, Lord, Esther must have been good at something before she came to the castle. And I don't know if this was divine revelation or just my imagination, but I'll just say it anyway. You know, Esther may have been the best cow milker in her whole county. She might have been able to milk more cows faster than any other girl or any other boy, for that matter, in her whole county. It might have been her claim to fame. When she walked down the street, it wasn't, hey, there's that pretty girl. It was, hey, there's that girl that can, can get six containers of milk in 20 minutes. But when you get into the castle and you get into being queen, being the milking champion is not what gets you ahead. It's, it's like this. All those in Christ become new creations. All the old, it passes away, but all the new, it comes, it emerges. You see, we're recreated in Christ. Your yesteryear, you know, you may have been a state champion volleyball player, but you don't live. That, that was your purpose then, but that is not your identity today. Some of you have learned to survive in prison, and you've been quite successful. But that same thing will not make it in the world because you are in a, society, in a situation that's temporary. When we learn to adapt to temporary situations and even excel in them, and we try to take that temporary success to the next level with Christ, it will fail. Being the milking champion did not win her any accolades as queen. When I was in high school, and I have never told this part of my testimony, I'm not real proud of it, I don't like to talk about things, but I remember a time in high school when I was with some friends, and we were going to smoke marijuana together. And one of the guys said, well, let Daryl roll the joint, because he rolls really good joints. <laughs> I haven't used that <laughs> in a whole long time. You, you see, that claim to fame was not my created purpose. But it's amazing to me how many people never grow out of their adolescent purpose and they're brought into the kingdom and they still think they can get by by being the tough guy, the cool guy, the beautiful girl, the what, all those outside things that don't matter at all. 
We must have our minds renewed to find created purpose. If you don't have your mind renewed, somebody will tell you who you are. And what you are. And what you should do. So we pick up the story. We know that the Jews were, uh, the decree had gone out to kill all of Esther's people. She was a Jew and, and she was in the, in the uh, castle, but a decree had gone out. The king had signed it himself and said, all Jewish people were going to be annihilated on such and such date. And I apologize if you don't know the story. You just need to go back and read the book of Esther. It's so easy and fun to read. It's a great story. But the, 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 the crux of the whole thing came down to this. Esther was in a place of privilege in the castle as the queen. And her people were having uh, their death sentence written and it posted in all of the kingdom. So her people were asking her to go to the king and intercede. King, don't let my people get killed. And that's where we pick up the story. It said that her people had gone to her and said, Esther... Go to the king and ask it. And then she said back to them, you know, everyone knows in verse 11 of chapter 4, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces all know that any man or woman that approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, that king, summon, uh, the king has but one law, death. If you walked into the king's court, if this was the king's court and I was the king sitting here at the top, and you walked in those doors and you came down that aisle and you weren't invited, they would kill you. It didn't matter who you were. And this was a brutal, brutal kingdom. I just want you to know. If you read about them in history, they didn't, they didn't play. And so it's, she said, there, you don't get it. If I go to the king and he hadn't called me, he's going to kill me. And then it says, the only exception is that the king would extol, extend a gold scepter to him that was walking in, and it would spare his life. And then she said this, but for 30 days, it's passed since the king has called me. So Esther was saying, you know, you think I can just walk in there because I'm his wife, because I'm the queen. You don't get it. You don't understand the protocol. You see, her mind had already been renewed. She understood something that most common people didn't, and that is just because you're the wife of the king doesn't mean you just walk in and tell him, hey, you know, it doesn't happen that way. And so she said, and he hasn't called for me in 30 days. When Esther's words were reported, we know what Mordecai said. He said, don't think because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews are going to escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, this is the famous statement, but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. When Esther heard this, she gathered all the Jews who were in Susa and she said, fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days. And she said she told Mordecai to do the same. When this was done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. There's an interesting scripture in Revelation about overcoming the enemy. It says this, that they overcome the enemy. We overcome the devil. We as God's people overcome the devil by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the lamb, and then it says, and they did not love their lives 
so they were willing to speak out. You see, there's a time and for all of us, if we're to find our true purpose, that we have to step into faith. I talked about it last week. We have to be willing to step into what God's calling us to. Yeah, it's scary sometimes. But God's calling us to step into faith. That's how we find our purpose. You never find purpose sitting on the couch waiting for it to show up. I'll just tell you that. It's always going to be a step out of the boat onto the water. Or it's going to be a step into that unknown area that God's calling you into. That's where purpose is found, in the mystery of faith. So chapter 5, we pick it up here. It says that on the third day, of course, after they fasted, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. She came and stood right there. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing that entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. <laughs> he held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and she touched the tip of the golden scepter. And then the king said this, what is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. Wow, that's powerful. How did she get to her place of purpose? Because her mind was transformed. How do we know? We get, the, we get glimpses right here. First thing she did, she put on her royal robes. Her royal robes. Listen to me. She didn't come in with the sackcloth like her cousin Mordecai was wearing. She didn't come in with the rags of a peasant. She didn't come in as a sinner with her head bowed. She came in with her royal robe. She put on the royal robe when she approached the king. She had a need. She didn't come in as a desperate sinner that's barely in. She came in in her royalty. You see, she had been transformed from who she was to who she was now. Some of us never make that transition. Some of us come in all the time, you know. Oh, Lord, it's me again. I know you should chop my head off. And... You see, there's something. You see, Esther had every reason to let limitations cause her to come in as a peasant and as a beggar. Her own people were sentenced to die. She had every reason to be down. He hadn't sent for her in 30 days. You know what most of us had said. We would have said, well, if God wants me to intercede, the king will call for me. But until he does, I'm going to go about my duty of learning to survive in the harem. It's brutal in here. I'm learning all this new stuff, and these other girls are always trying to take my place, and I'm just having to fight to keep my position, and, you know, I'm fighting off all these, this opposition inside the harem, and, and I'm learning all this good stuff, and I'm making sure all these other girls are following the rules, and I've got an important job in here. You know, it's like in church. <laughs> 
God's calling us to go do something out there, and we're too busy in here learning to survive in the church. <laughs> Protecting our place and, and making sure that nobody's trying to get in our place. And, you know, we're, we're so afraid somebody's going to be more anointed or take it, you know. He didn't call us to learn to survive in church. He called us to go out into the world. Take a step of faith. Into our purpose. Be transformed. Put on your robe of royalty. Quit acting like a peasant. She didn't see herself as a peasant girl anymore. She didn't see herself the way the world saw her. You know, she was that girl. They go, oh, that's that girl. You know, I'm sure at the little checkout stands, there was a picture of Esther. You know, peasant girl becomes queen. And they were like, yeah. You know, shows before and after and all that, you know. And, 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 and so she's, she, you know, the world thinks she's a peasant girl. But you know what? The world will always think you're less than you were. You'll always be the lowest place people have seen you fall. You'll always be the drug addict. You'll always be the ex-con. You'll always be the adulterer. You'll always be that. And that's what the world says. But you can't let them define you. You have to put on your royal robe. Let your mind dare to be transformed. Your royalty. You're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's own special people. That's what the New Testament says. She believed she was royalty. And she was. Haman had talked the king into passing this decree. But I'll tell you this. The devil may get some things going that are negative, but you have more authority than the devil. You see, that's why you have to know you're royal. Because if you don't, he'll always have the upper hand. Haman was not greater than Esther. That's something you've got to get right now. You put on the royal robe. You come into his presence. Because we're royalty. First evidence of a transformed mind. Do you know you're royal? You stop seeing yourself as a peasant. Second thing, she was pleasing to the king. She walked in and he smiled. You know, some of you don't even like to pray because you think God's mad at you. <laughs> he ain't mad. You get on your knees, I don't care what you've done. He's smiling at you. He's pleased with you. You allow limitations of your own mind. Most of our limitations are right here. We see God is disgusted with us. He's pleased with us. Yeah, approaching the king is a big deal. Approaching God is a big deal. Tanner set it up here beautifully a few months ago when he preached on worship and he was talking about how, how awesome it is that we get to come into the presence of God through worship. And he went through these Old Testament scriptures that explained if you came to God and you came flippantly, it cost you your life. Do you see the parallel? In Timothy, in chapter 6, it says this, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Do you know why? It would cost them their life. That's the law of God. 
Yet we know we can come right into his presence. Why? Because we're his bride. He's pleased with us. We're royalty. I love that song that Kevin Prosh wrote. You know, it, and it was really a statement that Bill Johnson had made, and he turned it into a song. But, you know, it says in the word that God says he will not share his glory with another. And the second half of that is, we're not another. We're your beloved. And that's true. He loves to share his glory. You know, many people are going to tell you that you can only come before God after you clean up, after you, you know, do the proper amount of repentance and beating yourself up, that, you know, you make a mistake, you've got to be out of the court for three days before you can come slinking back in, you know, oh, I did it again, God, you know. That's religion. Religion never brings you to the presence of the king. Intimacy brings you to the presence of the king. The king is pleased with you. He's pleased with you. People say, well, she fasted for three days. Well, she didn't change the king's heart one iota by fasting for three days. You can fast for 14 days. It's not really going to change the way God feels about you. What it does is it gets you ready to step into faith. What she's doing is she's dialing back the flesh. When you fast, you're telling your flesh, no. And some of you have a hard time saying no to your flesh. So it runs the ship. Your flesh is not going to step into faith. You're never going to step into faith in your flesh. You're going to step into whatever makes you comfortable. <laughs> she fasted to turn down that noise of her flesh, that fear of her mind. She knew that she had to calm the fears in her heart and put on those royal robes and walk in with comp confidence and not with fear. Walk in knowing that she was favored and she pleases the king. And he extended something, the only thing that said you can approach me, the golden scepter. Let me throw up the most popular verse in the scripture. John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let me just say it this way. God so loved Esther that he provided his only way, his golden scepter, that whoever believed in it would come forth and would not die but have an abundant life. You see, that golden scepter represented something in this living parable. Gold had already been established in chapter 1 as being the material that God makes us out of. You remember the golden vessels? Each one uniquely fashioned that they filled with the new wine. And, and as they drank, it brought the, the king joy. You see, that's us. We're the golden vessels, each one uniquely fashioned, and God pours the new wine in. And as we, as we pour the new wine out, the joy that comes to God, because we're all so uniquely fashioned, and, and we're filled with this, the living God, and, and that new wine of His deal, it goes out into the world, and it creates joy. God just loves that. You see, gold was already established as the flesh, as the container that holds the Spirit of God. So when they were holding out the golden scepter, you get the gold of the flesh. You get a man, Jesus, that was 100% human, but had the authority of God because it was a scepter that represents God's authority. He was fully man, fully God, and the only way you're going to walk up to the king is by touching, embracing what God has provided, the only way for you to get to the king. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the king except through the golden scepter. He provides it all. All you've got to do is walk in and receive what he's already done. Thank you for mercy, God. Thank you for not cutting my head off when I should have had it cut off. Thank you for extending a greater law than the law that had been established in the court. You see, there's a law of sin and death that says that we all should die because of our sin. And when we walk towards the king, we should automatically die. But he extends the golden scepter because he passed a bigger law. The scepter has authority to overcome law and say, you are my beloved. I'm pleased with you. Come in in your royalty and I will give you a place of honor because I've extended this grace to you. You're his beloved. Hebrews 4, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's the same story over and over and over. Confidently coming to God's throne of grace through Jesus because he has told us we have access to God and we come in because we need him to help us. God, you, you, know, you know, Lord, there's something going on down here that only you can fix. But I'm not coming in desperation. I'm not coming as needy. I'm coming as your beloved. And I'm stepping into your throne room in full of grace. And saying that I have full faith and confidence in you, God. The miracle working God. Just like she did before the king. And let me just say this. If you have any doubt, God wants to help you. Get anything else out of your mind. God's on your side and he wants to help you. But some of you never enter the court. Some of you never come into his presence. Esther's mind was being renewed. She was, she was starting to see herself the way God wanted her to see herself. She was starting to step into her created purpose. She was starting to have confidence. And she walks into the presence of the king and she finds out something she didn't already know. She found out she's rich. She's rich. You see, we're rich. Well, first of all, some of you don't believe it. And if you don't believe it, you don't ever possess it. The king wants you to know that you have unlimited resources available to you. She walked into his presence. The first thing he said is, what do you need from me? Do you, do you go back to scripture in the New Testament and look how many times Jesus said that same thing. Even to a blind guy that walked up to him, blind guy. Everybody knew he's blind. And he walks up, you know, and she can't find him. You know, are you Jesus? Yeah. And Jesus is like, well, what do you want me to do for you? The guy goes, well, I'm blind. I want to see. I don't know why God wants us to answer that question, but some of you just think, well, he knows what I need. I'm going to sit on the couch until he brings it to me. He wants us to come to him in our time of need. 
Because he wants you to know there's unlimited resources available to you. Up to half my kingdom. You start to see glimpses of the, of the prodigal son in this. You start to see glimpses that, you know, when the prodigal son came to the father, he said, I want my inheritance, and he gave him half of his kingdom to go and do with it whatever. And we know that when that son came back after he had squandered it all on drunkenness and prostitutes, he came dragging back into his father, and the father would not let him come in as a broken sinner. He threw the robe of royalty or righteousness around him and said, No, you're my son. We're having a party. Because I'm pleased with you. Oh, Father, I'm not worthy. It doesn't matter if you're worthy. You're my son. Of course you're not worthy. That's why Jesus came. To make you worthy. He became our unrighteousness so we could become the righteousness of God. Thank you, God. The king wants to know that we're rich. He doesn't want you slinking in and slipping into the servants' quarters. I just have to live with this the rest of my life because I made all these mistakes and now I'm paying for it. And at least I'm saved, but I'm just going to go to heaven, you know, with, you know, just with this, this problem. I'll never be fixed. I'm broke. No, I have unlimited resources and half of it's available to you right now. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He wants you to know you're His. And then He goes beyond that and He says, and if we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with His Son. Hallelujah. What does that mean? That means He didn't want you wondering if you're His or not. He wants you absolutely knowing that you're a part of the family. And the next thing he wants you to know is that you're going to get the inheritance. With the son. Equal to the son. You know what heir means? Heir means in Greek. The Greek word means an inheritor or a possessor. Now that's an interesting word because it means, you know, an inheritor gets an inheritance when the father dies. But a possessor possesses now. Now, what, what, is it, what is it? When he dies or now? Well, the truth is, he isn't going to die. God's never dying. We're not hanging around until the old man dies so we can inherit. He gives it to us now. We're a possessor. We're an heir. You see, nothing changed in Esther for Esther, when she walked in and the guy said, what do you want, my dear? I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. She suddenly went from, well, I didn't know I was so rich, to I'm rich. What changed? Did, did he put any money in her bank account? Did her situation change at all? No, what changed? Her, her perspective, because the king had told her she's rich. Do you understand your biggest limitation is your mind? Your mind can take you from poverty to prosperity in a moment and nothing has to change. It's all up to you and what you believe. 
If you don't believe it, you don't have it. You know, some people being rich is a destination. They, they're, they're on their quest to be rich. You know, it's a destination. It's like when I get a million dollars and I have everything paid off and all this is funded and everything's here, then, then I'll be rich. It's a destination. So they live their whole life trying to reach a destination. But richness, wealth, wealth is not a destination. Wealth is a mindset. You know what it, you know what it depends on, don't you? Contentment. That your mind, let me say another word for contentment. It's called faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Therefore, you don't have to see it or have it before you believe it. So your contentment is believing you have it before you really have it. Put those quotes up about contentment. The secret to having it all is knowing that you already do. Let this soak into you. That's what he was saying to Esther. The secret to having your request is that you already have it granted because of your standing, because of who you are, because of the way I feel about you. This is already a done deal. Our only job is to believe it. Next quote, I've learned to be content in all that I am. That was the Apostle Paul, all that I am. You see, being content in who you are is not a destination either. It's not that you have to get your act together, get all this done and go two weeks without committing that sin or, or you know, stop doing this or stop doing that. This is not, this is not, being content is not the result of beauty treatments. It's the result of a transformed mind. She was not confident in her beauty treatments. She covered them up with the robe. If it had been the beauty treatments, she would have come in in something a lot slinkier. God's not impressed by our outward form. It says that he's pleased when we have faith. That we are content with who we are. Contentment makes poor men rich and discontentment makes rich men poor. We go back to that one, Trey. Faith makes poor men rich, and no faith makes a rich man poor. So funny how I've been to Mexico and I've been to some different places where I saw extreme poverty, and it's so funny what it does to my mind. You know, I can live in my house every day, and I just feel like it's, oh, it's okay. You know, it's a nice home, and, and I'm very thankful for it. But, you know, you don't really realize uh, what you have until you see somebody that doesn't have anything. And so suddenly you go, wow, I'm pretty rich. You see, faith and contentment, they're, they're, they're funny things. They, they, they are all taking place inside of our mind, inside of our heart. When we allow the world to, it says, you know, let your, put up, put up Romans 12 too, Trey. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. His will for what? His will for me. His will for you. 
You can't know what it is until your mind's transformed because if it's not transformed, you're continually being conformed by the pattern of the world. We, you know, of course, my house is very average for homes in Amarillo. But that's the pattern of the world. If I allow that discontentment to breed in my heart because I think I need to have a home that's as nice as some homes that I've been in, I will never live in joy or contentment or even in faith. I'll live in greed. Finding out who you are in Christ is not looking at someone else and coveting what they have. Last quote on contentment. This is a thinker. He who is not contented with what he doesn't have will not be content with what he'd like to have. Well, that's pretty brilliant. So the question comes down to, what's your request? What do you want me to do for you? What, what do we approach God with today? What limitations are on your life that you need to go to the Father and say, Father, I need your help. And how do you approach the Father? Your brain's your greatest attribute when it comes to your identity. But your brain is also your greatest hindrance when it comes to your true identity. You must have your mind transformed. You must know that, that, that you're royalty, that you're pleasing, and that you're rich. And this is not some name it and claim it thing. Don't, don't, get, don't hear the wrong thing here. Rich means you have everything you need to do anything you need to do. That's the definition of rich in my opinion. It's all about how your brain gets around what you're sitting in. How come, how come two siblings that are raised in the same home by the same parents with the same values and one grows up to be an alcoholic and one does not? In fact, one grows up to be a teetotaler and one grows up to be an alcoholic. How come you can go to those two guys and say, why are you an alcoholic? And he says, well, I was raised by alcoholics. And that's why I'm an alcoholic. And you go to the other guy and you say, how come you don't drink at all? He said, because I was raised by alcoholics and I don't want it in my life. How come that can happen? One has dared to believe something true and another one has dared to believe something that's not true. Their mind is not transformed. One lives in brokenness all of their days because they can't seem to get around the truth that your limitations of your past do not dictate your future. Oh, it might make it more difficult. You know, I've, had, I've been around people that say, that, you know, I've counseled people. He, you know, the wife will say, he never says I love you. I'll say, why don't you ever say I love you? Well, I was raised by parents that never said I love you, so I just don't say I love you. And then I, I know another person who, who kisses on his kids all the time and is so affectionate and tells them he loves them all the time. I say, why, don't, why do you do that? He said, because I was raised in a home where they never said I love you, and I'm not going to let my kids be raised in that. What, what is the deal? The deal is we've allowed ourselves to be conformed to the pattern of the world. Well, if you were raised by an abusive father, you'll be an abusive father. If you were raised by a drug addict, you're going to be a drug addict. If you were raised in welfare, you're going to be in welfare. If you're raised this way, you're going to be this way. We never allow the, the, the tapes in our mind to stop playing. 
You see, whatever you go through, it's either going to help you or hurt you, but you get to decide. You do. Because the truth is, when I said that, if all limitations were removed from your life, what could you do? Well, let me just give you some, some revelation. They're removed. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to live like a, a peasant or a king? Are you going to live like somebody that God hates or somebody that God loves? Are you going to live like you're in poverty or like you're rich? Are you going to be generous or are you going to be afraid? You get to decide. Are you going to be a giver or a taker? You get to decide. God's not going to make you do anything because you're, you're an agent of free will. God's world is made of free will. It's spinning and sometimes it almost seems out of control because he's given the free will to so many people. He could straighten this thing out like boom. And will. But the truth is, he hidden now. We still get to decide whether we're a powerful church or a not powerful church. Man, we'd go out and win the world if it wasn't for what? Nothing. <laughs> There's nothing stopping us. We're filled with the spirit of the creator God. We've got the message that gives hope to all of mankind. And yet we aren't, we, we got to get the blinders off and know that the world wants this. It it doesn't want religion. It wants Jesus. It wants the golden scepter. It wants a father that will give them a place at the table. But you've got to change what you think. You've got to change what you think about yourself. You've got to let the old go. And you've got to be willing to embrace the new. You've got to be willing to embrace the truth. Let me just say it that way. You've got to let the lies go and you've got to embrace the truth. When you're born again, it's all new. All old things are passed away and everything's become new. Let's believe that. And there's no limitation over me that God can't eliminate. I'm just like Esther. He'll send me through any kind of training I need to do. Holy Spirit training. Anything. I talked about the Holy Spirit bubble bath. He'll do whatever I need to do to get me ready to send me out to do what he wants me to do. For such a time as this. We need to change, and I'm going to talk about just this briefly, and then we're going to minister again. In fact, why don't the ministry team just come on back up, and we'll, while y'all are coming up, I'm going to share this. I just was going through this, and I was looking at, at Esther's, what she, how she got to have such a transformed mind. And I don't think it was just because she had education and all that. I don't believe that. I think that's important. I just don't think it's everything. Here's, here's what changed in Esther's life, and it may be something that needs to change in your life. Esther's life changed in large part because the people she associated with changed. She used to get the input of a poor peasant girl from everybody she associated with, and now whenever she was brought into the castle, she began to get input from people that treated her like royalty. Some of you need to get out of the associations that are treating you like you were and get into some associations that treat you like you are. You've never made the transition. Some people are like, well, who needs church? Let me tell you why you need church. Because you need to be around people that believe in you and speak life into you. Change the input. 
If there's people that are inputting things in you that keep you bound, that keep you limited, that keep you down, or if you're listening to anything that's putting you down, you need to turn it off. I mean, I've listened to music that I think they're doing nothing but keeping entire races of people just under their, you know, like, you're this, you know, so you're this. And you just listen to that and you think, oh, it makes me angry. Because I think nobody gets to tell me what I am. Another thing that some of you need to have your mind renewed is you need to have knowledge of the king. Some of you don't, need, you don't know the king. I mean, you know about him, but you don't know him. And, and you need to know him. You, you need to stop just learning about him. And you really do need to enter into a place where you can know him in a biblical sense, intimately. And that comes through encounter. These times up here, like we had earlier in worship, these times at the end, these are encounter times. This is not just, oh, come up, you know, and pray for Aunt Betty because she's having a bad week. I just, I'm telling you, these are times for you to encounter the king because it's in these times of real encounter that you get to know him. He says things to you that can change your whole mind and perspective. And the last thing is that you need to learn to rest in the facts. Who establishes the facts? Well, the truth establishes the facts. Not the world. This, the truth, Jesus is the truth, the word is the truth, and this is the facts of life. Now, you can believe other things, and they can become facts to you, but your mind's not transformed. When you transform your mind, you're going to agree with this, because this is the fact. You are what this says you are, not what that out there says you are. So, does anyone have a word they want to pray for specifically? Anybody up here? Let's stand.